3: Welcome to the Friday show. It's true. We told you yesterday. We've come to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, questions about what we believe as Christians and why. Whatever's on your heart or mind, I will do the best I can to use the Word and answer those questions for you. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. Well, we're getting ready for a weekend. Uh, We're busy tonight. Tonight I get to finish the book of Hebrews. Uh, We've been in it for a long time. And tonight will be our final study Uh, This time through, that's at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. I'm going to be starting Luke chapter 22 on Sunday. I'm looking forward to that. And wherever it is you go to church, let the Word transform your life by changing your heart and changing your mind. Um, Offer your talents, your gifts to God to be used for other people instead of just for you. And uh, honor the Lord this week at church let's get to some questions that have been sent in while we hopefully wait for your phone calls my first question is from Raul and he said why do Christians always favor Israel in the Mideast disputes Raul, uh, Israel is um, family Uh, I think that's the best way our faith springs from uh, Israel we're told to pray for the peace of Israel uh, we remember the promises that God has made Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses and David and and the land belongs to Israel that's why we favor Israel um, Jesus said and Paul reiterated this in the book of Romans uh, he said we need to be careful we came from the natural tree that's what Israel is we're wild offshoots of that tree and he said don't think too highly of yourself, Christians, if we were able to be grafted in, how much more will Israel be easily grafted in when they come to faith in Christ? So we need to pray for Israel, for the peace of Israel. We need to pray for individual Jews, that their hearts would be open to receive the Messiah that they're still waiting for, that that the Lord would open their hearts. He's already been here and offers salvation. Uh, It's also um, important, I think, to remember, Raul, that God said that he will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. A couple of things. I think without any dispute, no matter which side of the divide in the Middle East you might be on, I think without any dispute for the history of this world, there has never been a more persecuted people than Jews. They have been hated by everybody in the world, even today as Israel is in that little small stretch of ground, Uh, all of their Arab enemies have sworn to accomplish their destruction that Israel would be removed from the face of the map. Um, They are trying to bargain for land that isn't theirs, land belongs to God, God gave it to Israel, God regathered Israel, God gave them control of Jerusalem in 1967. Uh, Israel is now, Jerusalem rather, is again the capital city, recognized by the United States uh, of Israel, and uh, that's the side we've got to be on in this issue. It's it's really that straightforward. Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem, and we're going to be there with him. Then we'll understand completely. I think the problem we have, Raul, is that we see the one-sided portrayal of the Middle East conflict Presented by the media we don't understand that the enemy the devil is the prince of the air and Israel is always going to be made out to be the bad guy so we favor Israel it is our responsibility as Christians it is our right we have a spiritual connection to the people of Israel it should be the desire of our heart so Raul I hope that answers your question here is a question, interesting question. I've never had this one before. It's from Ben. He said, "Do you ever feel like not preaching, and what do you do when you're sick?" Um, ben, I don't think I, I've ever felt like not preaching or teaching. Is what I do. I'm not much of a preacher, but um, I, I don't think I've ever felt like not doing it. Um, there are times emotionally or spiritually when I'm not. Uh, at my best, of course. I mean, that happens. I've been doing this for twenty-four and a half years here, and and there are times when uh, uh, you know you go whether you feel like it or not. It's just a job. It's what we do. It's what I'm called to do. And I can't tell others to trust the Lord to be filled with the Spirit through obedience if I'm not going to do it. So if I am, am experiencing a downtime emotionally or spiritually uh it really doesn't matter a lot because i've still got to do it it's what i was created to do it's it's the responsibility and more than the responsibility the privilege of my life to be able to do what i do um and so there's times when you just got to say spirit of god it's on you i'm going to do the best i can i'm going to be there and um I'm going to expect you to show up quick as you always do. Now regarding the question, what do you do when you're sick? I'm really, really blessed physically in the sense that uh, I, I, I'm not sick very much. I don't miss a lot. Now, been in these last two and a half years, uh, I went through a couple of heart issues and there were some times when I felt like I couldn't stand up and I might have passed out or something and I certainly don't want to do that. Uh, there are a couple of other times when I've had no voice. You know, it's interesting to me that while, while I don't have a strong voice or a big voice, it's really the only tool that I really need. Uh, I, could, I could actually preach in a bathrobe if I had my voice, but if I don't have my voice, it doesn't matter how I'm dressed. And so there, there are a few times over the years, very few, uh, that I've missed because I'm sick. Uh, but uh, gratefully I, I mean I've experienced real good health and um, I feel like I, I'm supposed to be here so unless I can't do it I'm here I don't want to distract from the message uh, I don't want to be coughing into the microphone those kind of things uh, but uh, usually ben the Lord shows up so I try not to get sick and I uh, often don't give in to being sick so uh, I hope that answers your question. I hope that's what you were really asking about. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I do been. Uh, excuse me. i I'm talking about my voice and I've been strong and here it is going up. Uh, I do have a, a, a great staff of, of pastors who can teach all of them. And so uh, I don't have any problem bringing somebody in, or I don't have to worry about who's going to do it. I trust all the men who can teach. Uh, It's just like I feel like just as they show up for their jobs, I need to show up for mine. I think um, um, sometimes we look for opportunities to miss when we really shouldn't. Matthew asked this question, Pastor Ron, will some Christians who are backsliding be left behind when the rapture happens? Matthew, if somebody is really born again. And, and God knows, and they know, uh, but, but I think too often we want to know. Um, God knows if somebody's really saved. Galatians 6 says he won't be mocked. God, God knows those who are his. So real Christians, born-again believers, no matter what they're doing, are going to be taken in the rapture of the church. So if you're backsliding, you're going to be maybe a little ashamed, maybe a little embarrassed, uh, but you're still going to go. Why? Because Jesus' blood washes away all sins, past, present, and future. That's something we really have to get hold of because it provides so much security. So if you are a born-again believer, regardless of whether you're backsliding, you're going to be taken when the rapture comes. The idea, Matthew is that we need to live our lives as though He's coming. Now, if you knew, for example, that Jesus was coming at 7 o'clock tomorrow, you wouldn't sin. Backsliding or not, you wouldn't sin because you want to prepare yourself for Him. Well, we have to live every day with the imminency of His return in view. We're to make decisions the choices that we make every day based on our expectation, our earnest expectation that Jesus is coming back. But the comfort is that all your sins has been have been forgiven. If you ever were a Christian, if you really are a Christian, God knows, and he will take you to be with him when that day comes. I've been talking about this a lot uh, lately. Because of our our studies, you know, Jesus is talking about his uh, his soon return and uh, Isaiah, we're talking about the millennial kingdom. Uh, I I think the one thing we need to do every day, every day, is to look to that eastern sky and say, Jesus, this could be the day. How can I serve you today? What about me, Lord? And what about today? So I hope that helps. Thanks. Good question. Uh, Let's go to Castroville and talk to John on line one. John, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Hello, sir. How are you today?
3: John, I'm doing really well. Thank you for asking.
4: Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Hey, I have a question I want to ask you. Um, I listen to your show every, just about every day and have since uh, August of 2012, so I'm kind of an old-time Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I listen to a lot of other people as well, you know, throughout the day. And one day here, oh, I'm going to say three or four months ago, I was listening to... Uh, uh, pastor david jeremiah and and he made a comment he said you know there are about 330 million people in the united states today thereabouts and he said you know the sad truth is only about 28 and a half million are going to go to heaven and i'm so i'm thinking to myself i said my gosh I, but i started looking around and if you look at matthew seven thirteen and 14 doesn't jesus say the same thing
3: basically <laughs> John, that's exactly what he says, and and that's so so difficult for us to swallow. Um, you you know, know we, 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 we we like to think that everybody who names the name of Christ, everybody who prays, "Oh Lord, do this and do that." We like to think that they're all Christians because they say so. but but um, you know, I always I fall back to Judas, you know, the other disciples when Jesus said, "One of you will betray me today, uh, the the other disciples didn't think it was Judas. Um, God knows who are his. Uh, He says many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, and and he will say, depart from me, you doer of iniquity, for I never knew you. And I think what we've got to understand is that the question um, uh, from heaven's perspective isn't do we know Jesus? We all know about Jesus. The question is, does he know us? And um, uh, the truth, and John, this is so sobering for me to say as a pastor. But but I I think more than I have no idea what the number is, the number of people that attend uh, church uh, on Sundays here in in the United States. But but I believe that that fewer than half of the people who sit in churches uh, every Sunday are are really born again. And, uh, you know, we've got it. We've got to We have got to we can not disagree with Jesus. We've got to be on his side. We've got to take his side. And I think we've been so convinced by the world that we live in that that um um you know, God is a God of love, and everybody's going to end up there. It's just not true. So, um, David Jeremiah, I've, I've heard him. I've not heard him use that number before, but uh, David Jeremiah is really super, super solid, and and uh, I agree completely. You have anything else, John?
4: It was an awesome book. Oh. And, okay. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, I could I could hear his voice as I was reading his book. It was amazing. <laughs> So anyway, I wanted to I wanted to ask you about that. I, I kind of figured that that's the way it was. So I appreciate your answer very much.
3: Thanks, John. You know, um, uh, with regard to that, uh, John MacArthur, who um, obviously I have doctrinal issues with, but but he's a, a servant of God who's got more rewards than I'll ever think about having. Um, but uh, he's he's even bleaker. He's even bleaker in looked than, than David Jeremiah with the numbers. Um, and, and he's, um, after all these years, he's been preaching for 50 years. Um, he just says, you know, a lot of people are sitting in church. They think they're born again. He said, but very few are. And and God even said that everyone is called, but few are chosen. Jesus knows who are his, and he knows who's giving him lip service, just like he knew that it was Judas who was going to betray him. Um there's a day of betrayal coming and I think we see the church every day, the professing church, turning away from Jesus Christ all the time. To be my disciple, Jesus said, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross every day and follow me. That's what a born-again believer does. And people who aren't producing good fruit of the Spirit, John, are, are, uh, are kidding themselves if they think that being baptized or answering an altar call or or um, having an emotional experience with God one day is enough. It's not. It's not. Thanks, John. Appreciate the call. I appreciate you listening. That's been almost the whole time. I think 2012 July, I think, is when we we began here. So, uh, wow, thank you very much for that. That's a nice thing to think about. Oh, here's a question from Harold that everybody can relate to. He says, Pastor Ron, have you ever had really hard trials when you knew you were in God's will? I ask because I don't understand why things are hard when trying to serve God. Harold, that's a question that's been asked by every believer ever. Lord, I thought when I served you, everything would go well and things would be easier. Um, No, all we got to do, Harold, is read the Apostle Paul's epistles most notably 2 Corinthians chapter 12, read the things that he experienced. And and in my view, this is my own opinion, but in my view, he is the most faithful, the greatest used servant of God ever. And he suffered so much that Jesus told him before he actually commissioned him all the things that he must suffer for Jesus' sake. And the truth of the matter is, is when you're serving God, sometimes, Harold, that's when things really get hard. You know, the Christian who is lukewarm, or the the unbeliever who's already being controlled by the enemy, uh, the devil doesn't spend much time on those people, but when you step in the will of God, and when you know beyond any doubt that that He's your Lord and you're going to serve Him in all glory to God. Every spiritual barrier is going to be thrown up by an enemy who wants to destroy you. He doesn't want you to bear good fruit for the kingdom of God. And so um, bad things, hard things happen to everybody, saved and unsaved alike. The difference is, Harold, that we who are his, we don't have to go through those things alone. I want to say that again. We who are his don't have to go through those things alone. And I think we make things harder. We make hard things harder because we try to go through them on our own. We get a little down or we start to get a little bit whiny. And, and we, why are these things going on, Lord, and instead of just holding on to him for dear life? There are times when hard things are directed by God. You'll remember when Jesus came out of the waters of baptism and the Spirit of God descended on him in the form of a dove. He wasn't a dove, but in the form of a dove the very first thing the Spirit of God led him to do was to go out into the wilderness to be uh, tempted directly by the devil. So you see, we're a lot like Jesus in the sense that we have really hard things. And Harold, yes, personally, have I ever really had hard trials when I knew I was in God's will? Uh, And I say this without... um, I'm not trying to make anybody feel sorry for me. I have the greatest job in the history of the world. But... Every day in my life, I experience hard, hard, hard trials. It seems, Harold, that our biggest burden has always been money. God asks us to take steps of faith, do everything for free. We don't ask for money. We don't let our needs be known. And yet, we never seem to have enough money. Now, I say that advisedly because we're still here after 24 years doing all those things. But it's just so hard, and it gets so wearisome. But you see, I look back, and I realize that it's those trials that have kept me totally dependent upon God. I can honestly say, Harold, that in the middle of the most difficult trials, even though the thoughts come to mind, the enemy comes to mind, you know, when when the Lord said, Never let your needs be known, never tell anybody what your needs are. Don't ask for money, don't solicit, don't sell things. In difficult times when money is just seemingly not there, those thoughts come, you know, I like, could just let the church know what we need. I'm sure they'd come through. Uh, or maybe there's somebody in the church that I could call and ask for temporary help or something. And and that's just my flesh and the enemy. But I've never, ever given in to that. I've never tried to come up with a way to make more money or to to have more money brought in. Um, I've just said, God, you've sustained us up to now. It's your job, not my job. My job is just to be obedient. And I think, Harold, as hard as those trials are, I mean, the money trials here never go away. It's like having a toothache that never goes away. You wake up with it. You go to sleep with it. It just never leaves your heart or your mind ever. Um, And yet I look around and see the fruit that God has produced. So the answer is yes. I've had really hard trials nearly every day. And yet the joy of the Lord is still mine to possess every single day. And that joy... Nehemiah says is our strength his joy not ours so I hope that answers your question if you're going through some hard things and you're right in the middle of God's will I think those hard things Harold um, sort of are just sort of God saying yep I'm with you right where you're supposed to be and uh, that's enough at least it, it needs to be enough um I can do this. I got four inside of four minutes. Here's an anonymous question. I know you've spoken of this before, but could I get your thoughts on kids using social media and the pressures they face? Anonymous, I am not an expert. My kids are grown and gone. Um, My heart breaks when I see my grandchildren. Um, never out of reach of their phones and those kind of things. Uh, same thing true um, uh, with the kids here at the academy. I, I realize that we live in a different time. Um, but here's the problem we've made ourselves so busy, and this is the biggest danger. We've made ourselves so busy that we don't have time for Jesus, we push him out. Um, I think personally that children under. And and I'm saying this not in a demeaning way, but children under 18 years of age aren't psychologically ready for the things they're going to be exposed to on social media. I think we have um, uh, kids that are depressed. We have kids that harm themselves. We have kids that that lash out at others, mean kids, and and they say and do horrible things on social media. Uh, and, And I think that's because they're not psychologically ready for those things. I think it's, it's replaced, social media has, our telephones have replaced our Bibles. I think instead of seeking the Lord, it's almost like we can ask Siri what God says to say or what God wants us to do, and we just don't do it. So I just don't think social media is a good idea. It is the scariest thing to me, Anonymous, that parents in this day and age, because they're, they also are addicted to social media, they're addicted to their their cell phones. Um, they don't supervise their children on social media. I know that's a general statement, but but I think it's true overwhelmingly the majority of the time. And um, you know, they don't know the things their kids are looking at. They don't know the the, the thoughts, the ideas that they're exposed to. Uh, their kids are often way more tech savvy than the parents are, and and. Children who have unlimited access to phones are doing things on those phones that that the parents won't find out about, and it doesn't seem to be um, a priority for the parents to protect their children. And I think when we expose our kids to things that psychologically and emotionally they're not ready to be exposed to, we're allowing them to, to be put into harm's way. Uh, and so I'm just not a huge fan at all. Again, I know I'm not going to change the world, but um, we're not doing our kids any favors. Um, the exposure to Facebook, the opinions, the attitudes, the 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 ideas that are ungodly, um, the sense of of interaction online, which is really not interaction with people at all. Oh, I think it's really, really dangerous. If I could ask God to give me the authority to do one thing, I'd say, Lord, take my cell phone. But he doesn't, and so neither will parents. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. We would love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 this is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com.
1: back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor Ron Arbaugh
3: welcome back to our final 30 minutes of the week 340-9585 here is a question from Vince that I honestly don't know how to answer Vince said pastor on how do you deal with your critics um, Vince, um, I try. I, I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but I try to ignore them. Uh, I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on any social media. Uh, I don't even read letters that come to me or emails that come to me unless they are signed by somebody. Um, and and um, you know, I think I think part of the problem. Um, most of us as christians you know we we we've got soft hearts toward people we don't want we're doing the lord's work we want people to be blessed by the work and honestly, I just don't see any value in in listening to somebody uh whose point of view is ill informed somebody who doesn't know me or as I said earlier, somebody who won't identify themselves uh, I would much rather talk to people face to face than do it online and when I've tried to engage a couple times, look, like, why don't you come make an appointment, come and sit down, and we'll talk about these things. Uh, most people don't want to do that because it's it's easy to use a keyboard and say terrible things. Um, but but I think Vince, the the over no matter how much we all like to be liked, uh, I'd like to think that everything I do, my heart is right with all the things I do. I can I can promise you that. But. When somebody is critical or somebody's harsh, I've got to remember not to take it personally. They don't know me. They don't know my heart. And it's really not me. It's my message. Now, I've dealt with this over the years, Vince, because I'm so direct. Uh, I don't leave much middle ground, no wiggle room for people. Somebody who wants to sin, and I say to them that that's something they can't do. I was criticized on this program last week, or earlier this week, because of a message that I did last Sunday. Somebody told me that I was overstepping. Uh, I had no business telling people um, how to live their lives or what to do with their children or or, or those kind of things. Um, and, and, you know, there's just a lot of people who don't want anybody, even God, they don't want anybody to, uh, to tell them what to do. And so they respond, and I have to remember, it's not me that's being rejected. It feels like me, and it hurts like it's me. But it's really Jesus that they are rejecting. Then I think about all of the people from the very beginning, the, 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 the original apostles. Every one of them was persecuted because of their heart for Jesus. Jesus said that you're blessed. The word in Greek in the, in the Sermon on the Mount is, is, is happy. You're happy when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. It doesn't say that you'd feel happy, didn't feel good, but the truth is, Jesus says, you're blessed, you're happy when that happens, because you're telling the truth. You have to really, really be focused on pleasing God instead of pleasing other people. So personally, Vince, um, you know, I, I don't want people telling me when somebody writes on Facebook, people get angry. Uh, all the time. That's just part and parcel of what we do. Um, and, and so I, I just, I, I want to think the best of people. I want to be able to pray for people with the right heart. And so for me personally, and I know not everybody's like me, but for me personally, it's better just to forget about it. I also think, Vince, people that have a hard time dealing with their critics have no business being on social media. I mean, you're opening yourself up to... Um, an infinite number of personal attacks. Uh, if, if you're out there as a public person, now I'm, a, I'm a relatively public person, um, but I'm also kind of old school. Um, I'm, I'm just doing my job. My, my responsibility when I leave the pulpit uh, or I leave a counseling session, my responsibility is to say, Jesus, I did my best. And he smiles at me and says, okay, that's over let's go on to the next one uh one other thing, things vince it's important for me to deal with this way is i teach so much um I, I teach wednesday night i teach friday night i teach three services on sunday and then uh in addition to counseling throughout the week which is teaching um just uh, with with individuals or couples uh and then i do this radio program and um if you've listened for a length of time you've heard the crank calls the people that uh, have their own agenda and you know I'm just not going to be moved by those kinds of things so uh, that's how I do it um, maybe that's not for everybody but uh, I want to ensure that I am free and able available to teach uh, the word of God and for that I've got to protect my myself Marvin asks this. It's a statement, not a question. I think that churches who celebrate Christmas are sinning because it is a pagan celebration. I won't go to a church that even has a Christmas message because Christmas is pagan. Marvin, I'm sorry for you. I really am sorry for you. I'm sorry that you can't see, what well, you can see, you refuse to see, that God specializes in taking pagans and turning them into instruments that will bring him glory. I was a pagan. God saved me, and hopefully now I'm bringing God glory. You, Marvin, were a pagan. And if you, if I'm assuming you gave your life to Jesus, um, um, he turned you into something useful. Well, the same thing he did with Christmas. He did the same thing with Easter. Now, Paula made a statement. I don't know whether it was just with me privately or on the program yesterday. But she said, you know, Christmas time, everybody's thinking about Jesus. Everybody knows about Jesus. They're all accountable. And I can't imagine anything better to do with December 25th than to make the whole world deal with the person of Jesus Christ. So uh, I disagree with you. Uh, I can't disagree with you more strongly. Um, The entrance of God becoming a man and, and entering our world... Uh, is the gift of all gifts, the greatest gift that's ever been given. I think, Marvin, that's worth celebrating. And what I would hope and pray is that your heart would be open enough and soft enough to understand uh, that your position not only makes no sense, but it's mean-spirited and very unchrist like Jesus is about including people. Too many of us are about excluding people. Christmas Day, everybody is going to be thinking about Jesus. Let's go to the phones. We've got Tiffany on line one from San Antonio. Tiffany, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good
2: afternoon, man of God. I just want oh, to, first you. of all, just uh, just uh, tell you that I just love your beautiful, beautiful spirit that you have, a gentle and Christ-like spirit, and it just comforts me. Your voice is very knowledgeable of the Word, and I do consider you my co-laborer in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, Tiffany. God bless you. Okay, I have a question. I want to know the concept of what do you think? What is once you get saved, are you always saved?
3: Yes, okay. I need to really know that. Okay, and God... Go ahead, Tiffany.
2: Tiffany. Okay, so because... Because it has been an issue, it's been a question in my heart, because, I'm, you know, I've seen where people come into the Lord, and they get saved, and they get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then they, they get back into, and even myself, you know, not just Dave, but me too, get back into a black, black sitting slave. excuse me, a black sitting a backsliding stage. Okay, now if they're still in that backslidden stage, are they still saved, or do they have to come to repentance and do everything all their works all over again?
3: Okay, thank you, Tiffany. And and, and I'm going to I'm going to be I'm going to be pretty detailed on this. So uh, God wants you to be secure. This is important. Um, Ephesians chapter one, verses thirteen and fourteen. Uh, says that as part of the transaction of giving our heart to Jesus Christ that God gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now remember, God gives He is the guarantor. If He guarantees something and that isn't a, a rock solid unshakable guarantee, then we're all in real, real trouble. So the question, Tiffany, isn't are we once saved, always saved? The question is were we ever really saved? Now we're not to judge people's hearts. Uh, We see somebody backsliding, then we're to pray for them. We're to try to correct them. If they won't listen to us, then we pray for them all the more. But I think a lot of times our confusion, Tiffany, is that we see somebody who's made a profession of faith. They go to a church and, and I'll use your term, you get filled with the Holy Spirit and they're uh, bouncing and shaking and doing things. But but see, we, we uh, emotional Christianity, there's no guarantee, there, there's no security in an emotional experience. Anyone and everyone who's ever given their heart to Jesus Christ will always belong to Him. That does not mean that we're not going to sin. If somebody is willfully sinning, Let's just say that uh, somebody that made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you went to church with them and uh, they appeared at times to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If they're having sex with somebody they're not married to and they refuse to repent, then the way I would approach them is, well, well, then what makes you think you're saved? Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 both say that people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It means that they're true colors, are coming to the fore. So if you're saved, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it is the definitive statement. There are many others. Jesus said, I have you in my hands. No one can snatch you out of my hands. The Father who's greater than I has you in his hands, and no one can snatch you out of his hands. And there are so many other passages that indicate that we as believers are secure. The problem is... There's a whole bunch of us that just have emotional experiences and we never really surrender our heart to the Lord. We call Him Lord in our prayers. We call Him Lord in our praise. But we don't live like He's the Lord. That means He's in charge. And if somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, remember the Holy Spirit is holy, then when we're doing something wrong, then our hearts will be convicted and we ought to be brought to repentance. Now I've seen a lot of people, Tiffany, over the years who appeared to have walked away from God, who really belonged to Him, and after a long period of time, they came back to Him. Why? Because they were His. First John 2, 19 says that they went out from us because they never really belonged to us. And so necessarily, when you see in the church uh, uh, this this acceptance of, uh, of gay marriage and, and, and celebration of gay and, and transgender lifestyles, And they all claim to be Christians. They're not real believers because to be a Christian means we have to agree with with him. And I'll remind you what I told a a caller earlier. Um, Judas appeared to be the real deal. Judas did miracles. Judas listened to every word Jesus ever said in his ministry. And even when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, None of them thought it was Judas. But Jesus knew and Judas knew. So sometimes, Tiffany, there are people that look like they're real Christians who aren't really. They've never surrendered their heart to God. And it's it's equally true that sometimes there are people who don't look like Christians who are. Aren't you glad, Tiffany, as I am, that you don't have to be the judge because God will judge them and He will judge them with complete justice and holiness because he knows every bit about our hearts. Tiffany, great question. By the way, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate it so very, very much. Here is a question from Terry. He says, Pastor Ron, can you talk about husbands and wives who argue? I do all the time, Terry. Uh, And then he says, how should they argue? And can you take back terrible things that are said. Terry, this is, uh, I, I talk about this a lot in our church. Now, I'm a pastor of a church. Uh, I'm not the pastor of this radio audience, but I'm a pastor of a church. And I see the damage that's done by husbands and wives who argue. I I see the, the, the terrible effect it has on children. Um, my mom and dad argued a lot and I hated it so much. I'd go into my room when they would argue and just pull the pillow over my head, and you know, make them stop, make them stop, make them stop. Um, it, it, there's just no instance ever where a child in a home should hear their mother and father arguing. They should never hear their mother and father say ugly things about the, about the other. They just shouldn't. Now, whenever I say that, Terry, people say, well, we're humans, you know, you're going to argue, you can't agree with everything. I understand that we can't agree with everything, but we never are given permission in Scripture, not even once, to argue, to raise our voice, or to say ugly things. Can you imagine trying to explain to Jesus why you were using curse words, arguing with your husband or with your wife? And Terry could be both female or male, so I don't know which you are. But uh, how would you explain that to Jesus? You know, Paula, uh, her name, the Lord has given her uh, to me. Now, he didn't give this to her. He gave it to me. Um, everybody knows it now, but that name is precious. And can you imagine if I was raising my voice and calling Paula names or or thinking horrible things about her? Can you imagine if Jesus showed up in my my house at that moment? How would I ever explain that to him? And yet, people still say. People are going to argue. You can't help it. When we're arguing, when we're calling names, when we're raising our voices, Terry, it's flesh. That's all it is. It's flesh. And there's never the the, Paul says to make no provision for the flesh. And yet we do it all the time. Not only do we do it, but we make excuses for it. Well, you know, we're just humans. I, I don't I I really don't understand how we ever try to justify our flesh in the sight of God. Part of the reason this is so important to me, Terry, is because you cannot take back the terrible things that are said. You know, there's a recorder, a spiritual recorder, the devil, the demon world. And and even when you try to forget it. The devil's going to bring it back up. I'm old school. I've got this illustration I use from time to time of of, of our, our brains, you know, having a, a tape recorder in it, and um, the devil's always trying to hit replay on the bad things. We got to we got to push erase and 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 stop and off. And yet the devil's always going to bring those things back we need to watch what we say we need to watch how we say it we need to control our thoughts take every thought captive, make it obedient to Christ and the only way we can do that is if we are absolutely mortified by our flesh so Terry, how should husbands and wives argue they shouldn't however, in disagreements all we have to do is surrender to the word of God, the will of God and there's no more argument if you and your husband or you and your wife have decided to agree with Jesus then you don't have to agree with each other and when there's a disagreement that comes up let's see what Jesus says open the Bible the the Bible will cover every either directly or in principle and then you know what to do so what I suggest that you do is you agree together to agree with God. If you need to write it down, sort of make a contract. And I'm big on this because in, in, in a moment of, of emotion we sometimes forget the promises we make God. But write it down, date it, and sign it. As a husband and wife, we agree to agree with Jesus. That way it doesn't matter if he's right or she's right. Only Jesus is. So we agree to agree with Jesus, and then when the disagreement comes up, find out exactly what God's word says about that area of disagreement, and then do that. And I believe with all my heart, Terry, that every husband and wife in Christ ought never to argue, ought never to raise their voice, ought never to say or think ugly things. And I think that's entirely possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think it really pleases God when in order to bring glory and honor to Him, we are able to do that. So Terry, that's my position on it. It's been my position all along. I one time went to a a marriage conference, at a pastor's conference, uh, our marriage seminar. And uh, I I did it because a friend of mine was actually doing it, and I just wanted to hear him. And uh, and he said, you know, you can't help it. You're going to argue, and there's times when you lose your temper. And, you, and I thought, how could that be? Isn't that making provision for the... F-? That's my position on it, and um, nobody's ever going to shake me from that. Terry, thanks very much. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, he or she says, I know women aren't supposed to be pastors, but how else can a woman... With the gift of teaching, serve the church. Now, that's the way to, to, to phrase this question. Because there's so many ways. Um, uh, and I'll just use our church as an example. Uh, I have a, a, a two handfuls of really and truly gifted women teachers. They all have different styles and, and, and different approaches. But they're really, really gifted. And um, they teach women, they counsel with women in the church, um, um, they, they, they minister in children's church. Uh, I think every teacher ought to start in children's church. Uh, and so there's no shortage of opportunities for a woman to use her gift of teaching. I think women can't be pastors. That's the word of God that's not pastor on. Um, there are so many opportunities uh, that a woman can use her gifts to bless the body of Christ. God's not going to waste His gifts, and uh, those are gifts at our church that uh, have been a blessing to us for a very, very long time. And uh, all those truly gifted women, they're not coming to me saying, well, I think I ought to be able to teach on a Sunday, or I think I ought to be able to be a pastor. Uh, Anybody who says that really is abusing or misusing the gift of teaching that they claim to have to teach the bible james says not many of you should seek to be teachers we stand a stricter judgment so um, anonymous there's all kinds of ways by the way one of the thing, individual counseling is just teaching one-on-one and um, You know, if you've got the gift of teaching, you go to church, start asking God for something from your gift of teaching. How much time? Under three minutes? Here's a question from Charles. Maybe this will be the last one for today. He says, do you have any tips on staying humble while pastoring a church? Charles, did you hear the question earlier about how do I deal with my critics? Uh, It's easy. It's easy to stay humble if you're with Jesus. It's not so easy to stay humble if you move out away from him. If you start believing all of the things that people say. Um, you know, one minute somebody will come up and say, Pastor, somebody will come up next and say, you know, I didn't get any of it. So it's it's really easy, if you're with Jesus, to stay humble. Um, Charles, one time, one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me, uh, after a service, uh, a lady who was visiting our church came up and with a lot of people around there's always a lot of people around me between services. And with lots of people around me, she went on and on and on about how gifted, how anointed, how blessed the study was. And she's never heard anything like that before. And it was just embarrassing. She went on so much and she was so vocal about it. And um, um, I mean, I was getting so uncomfortable saying, oh, Lord, please make her stop. I mean, thank you very much. But and and she just wouldn't stop. And finally she said this she said you know you are anointed right up there with the real real greats and then she named two of the worst false teachers ever and I just thought see Jesus that's how you keep me humble before I can start to think a little too highly of myself she throws in that and I think oh wow so um, you know the truth is Charles just look at your own heart you know your deficiencies You know the areas that you are are lacking in. Um, You know that apart from Christ, you can do nothing. And I think for me as a pastor, uh, I am more aware after 24 and a half years of doing this, much of Jesus is involved. So that's what I do. I just be realistic about who I am. Hey, thanks for the questions. Hey, thank you for your calls today. May the Lord bless you and keep you as we close this week. We're getting closer and closer to Christmas. Tell somebody about Jesus. Remember, Sunday at 4 o'clock, our annual church Christmas dinner. You're invited. You'll be blessed. Go to our website. See you next week.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.